Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor K. And today we have with us Rabbi Manis Freeman, author and public speaker with the most viewed Torah class on their interweb. Isn't that nuts? Gotta love it. Wow. The most viewed sheer, most most viewed Torah class on on the web. Rabbi Manis Freeman, also he's the father of Benny Freeman. What what shout out? Sits with me and we go off the deep end. I mean we go places, people. I needed an Advil after it all, and I appreciate the new ways of looking at some of the ideas which Marbe Manis and I discuss. Love to hear your thoughts after listening to this podcast. So, how about it? Let's give this a go. All right, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful friends, neighbors. How are you today? Rabbi Manis Freeman is in the house, is on the podcast. What an honor. Thank you for being here. My mother's house. Your mother's house. All right. This is the right setting for this. Fantastic. This is the house you grew up in? Uh, I had left on Schlichas by the time no, well, we moved in here. But yes, this is where the family... Uh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you for hosting us. It's uh, it's beautiful to see you. We're surrounded by many family photos and pictures. And I see a young... Of Remel Freed gazing right into me. Feels like he's gazing right into my soul as we speak. But I'll you, tell him. <laughs> <laughs> he'll hear this. He's a big oh, he's a big fan of the podcast. Okay. No doubt, no doubt. Um, well to jump right into it, actually many appellon you may know him asks, Does your son Benny Freeman have his mother's voice? How would you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does actually. Does he really? Yeah, my mother was very talented. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do you sing? Do you sing at all? No, no. Well, nobody's listening. <laughs> Are you a fan? Are you a fan of... Uh, of Benny? Yeah. Absolutely. And your other children? I like them all. Oh, safe answer. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You're going to trap me into that one. All right. Um, but but let's, let's really... I mean, Rabbi Monastery, you've really developed a, a following... And um, you're, you're obviously a rabbi, like you mentioned, in Minnesota and, and, and built um, quite a few... Um, you've, an author, a prolific speaker, an international speaker. Actually, I have to say, my first any my first speech I've ever heard. I, I mean, I went to school. Obviously, I've heard my teachers talk and talk, but really, like my first professional speaker uh, was you. I was in Pittsburgh and yeshiva at the time, and I guess the community brought you down to speak about intimacy. And uh, and I remember, I remember sneaking into that into the uh, program, and I can't remember exactly all that you spoke about, and. But what I do remember is that it was done very professionally. It was done very well. And I was like, wow, like you held the room. And I found that to be very powerful, uh, which, which, is, which is amazing uh, to say. But talking about that, let's jump right into it. Sex. It doesn't face you at... Never, never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> you never experienced it. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Yeah. Sex. <clears throat> um, that's, you, haven't, you didn't even flinch. Um, with that word, some, some, sometimes rabbis or you know people could be like, "Ooh, oh my gosh, Oyve!" But it doesn't doesn't really you don't bat an eye when it comes to that. I know you have a uh, the a, a strong opinion about what sex means or what that. Or do you, or like you say, you sort of allured from it. But what what is sex to you, and how does that play a role in with when it comes to intimacy? Well, sex used to be intimacy. It used to be yes. And it's meant to be the ultimate intimacy. But I think since the 60s, we've, we've stripped it of all, no pun intended, we stripped it of all intimacy, of all meaning, of all uh, 
of all content and it's empty and it's boring and people are losing interest. Mm. So at one point, the act, what we call having sex, two people coming together, um, that was, you're saying special and holy, but during and the- scary. And scary. Right. Why don't we blush anymore? Hashtag. Awesome. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Now it's- What makes you think that now it's different from what it was? Uh, like, you know, it's not like it used to be. Like, what, oh, no, what, makes, what makes you think this generation has lost that magic from 30, 40 years ago? I think somebody wrote a book, or maybe it's just the title of a chapter in the book. But he said, I think it's a good observation. What do you mean safe sex? If it's safe, it's not sex. Uh-huh. Right? So what happened in the 60s is that people decided, men and women, can't blame just the men, men and women both decided that there should be free love. Free of everything commitment meaning entanglement emotion intimacy it became recreational there's nothing intimate about recreational and i think that this is the me too phenomenon it's not that men have lost respect for women i think they probably have more respect for women today than ever and yet they do these horrible things because they've lost respect for intimacy they think it's fun. So mm. they said, so they look, so they touch, so they back. What? Didn't we decide to relax about it? And now all of a sudden they say, you looked at me the wrong way? Right. I mean, I, I guess, I mean, if you bring like specifics, like a Me Too movement, I think it's specifics less about looks, about looking at somebody and touching them in inappropriate manners, um, especially in, 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 well, in any workspace or out of that. But I mean, to say that, I mean, this didn't take place earlier I mean, back in the 60s, 70s also. I mean, this has been, it's just more, it was hush-hush back then, right? People were still acting in such manners then as of now. Um, there is something, I think, there, I, I mean, I could be in agreement in the sense that today with all the dating apps that are out there and um, it's so much more easy and acceptable to multi-date at once and to share of oneself in a very physical manner uh, with the opposite sex or the same sex. Um but we're not really sharing anything, but without, but yeah, you lose yourself within that and becomes, it, it just, it loses, right. It's not special anymore. And that could be, um, it's not special cause it's not you. It's just a thing you do. That's where the intimacy disappears. It's not about me. It's not really about you. It's this thing that we do. Which it's which is can be has a potential to bring two people very close together, but sometimes that same act can push two people apart, keep you keep, apart, keep you apart, and make you feel very much alone, even in the fact in the act of doing so. Yeah, I do love what you said about um, the example you bring about the grandmother. Right, you never ask your grandmother what you guys, what are you guys doing the in your in the bedroom, and what was she what would she say? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> No thing. Things do not are inappropriate in a in an intimate relationship. Things are pornographic. Right? Pornography means objectifying. Introducing things where there should be just us. So when you have two people, people are not things, and when they merge with each other and remove all things that come between them, you have intimacy. But when sex becomes your thing, 
It's not intimate anymore. Mm-hmm. And is intimacy a product of love, or is intimacy connected with love? Is is there is there a coalition between those two? It's much more powerful than love because love can also be a thing. I can use this example. If I say, if I if, if a man says to a woman, "I want to marry you for your money," is that offensive? If um, yes, one hundred percent. Because, well, you're marrying her for things other than herself. Well, yeah, she has money. money. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> she, not her. She has money. Sure, I like money. Yeah, I have a few friends you know, so, who have played that card. <laughs> it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah, that's right. When you say I want to marry you for your money, it's a thinly disguised <laughs> insult. I just want the money. Now, in a perfect world, you would just give me the money. But nothing's perfect in this world, so I'm going to have to marry you for the money. But I don't want you. I just want the money. Why is love any different? I just want your love. I didn't ask for your opinion. Well, love is is connected with the person themselves, isn't it? But it's a thing. You can have it or not have it. You can be... Better at it, more loving, less loving. I loved you yesterday. I don't love you today. It it comes and goes. But the main thing is people marry for love, not for the person. And how do you... So if that's the case, I mean, in, in, well, in the Orthodox world, right, where dating is, doesn't take place over a long period of time. So especially in that, how is that, how does one come a place to a place of love or any type of know-how of of this person after a month, two months, or three months, and then get married. So you're saying that system is better in, in a way than spending much, more time? Much, much healthier. Look, marriage means I need another person in my life, not a clone of me. The whole point of marriage is I'm not enough. Let's look at it from a from a traditional. God said, it is not good that man alone exists. I will create him a helpmate. So everybody's asking, oh, well, all of a sudden it's not good. I thought it was good. The real question is, why did God have to say it? You created a man, not enough, create a woman. Go right at you're on a roll, you know? (laughs) You created light and you created good. What do you have to say? I'm going to create a woman because it's not good. What are you, justifying? Do Do what you got to do. Yeah, sure. The Medrash says that when God said it is not good for man to be alone, he created that fact. Had he not said it, it would be perfect to be alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like most people say, leave me alone. And sure, I guess, and also to that fact, being alone didn't even exist. It, it just what it wasn't in existence at the time. It, so, it just was. So here's the really beautiful thing: when God said it is not good for man to be alone, He was talking about Himself. Mic drop moment. Why? Why am I creating a world? What do I need this for? The answer is there's just me. Now, what's wrong with that? You're perfect, you're infinite, you're eternal, you're all-knowing, you're all-powerful. Hey, 
enjoy. Sure. <laughs> Wasn't enough. Just me, no matter how perfect you are, just me, for a godly being, it's not enough. So by saying in part of creation, it is not good for a human to be alone, he gave us a divine instinct. You're as perfect as you need to be, but there's just you. Not good. We're now discovering that the thing that people suffer from today that is really bad and really dangerous is loneliness. 100%. And when I noticed in marriage counseling that happily married couples, they got no complaints. It's a, it's a functional marriage that and yet you talk to them individually, they feel alone in the world. But you're married. Right. Where's, where do you think that's, where, where does that stem from, from your experience? Because the marriage is lacking intimacy. So they're not talking enough, they're not holding hands enough, they're not sharing, they're not being vulnerable with each other? They're doing all of that. Okay. So it's communication. But they're not merging. First of all, men want to remain men. They don't want to be husbands. Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing to be a husband. How do you? How does one define? How do you define a husband? Wimp. Women define how do women wimp. A de- oh, wimp. <laughs> I feel like in this day and age, uh, the toxic masculinity is 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 starting to die down. I think people are you know the the responsibilities are being shared and people are stepping into the roles a bit more comfortably. Which roles? Diapering babies. It could be anything, really, in the sense of well, you know, whether it's the woman being the breadwinner of the house or. Men, you know, doing the cleaning, the, the, the cooking. Um, so here's the problem. We're going from one thing to another. Yeah, we are jumping around a bit. Let's bring it back. Yeah. Uh, men don't want to be husbands. Women don't want to be wives. Men and women married to each other is a disaster because men are not good for women. And women are not good to men. It's, they're better off without each other. But husband and wife are inseparable. You can't be a better husband without a wife. So if you don't become a husband and you don't become a wife, you're going to live side by side. You may enjoy many things together. Like the guy says, I love everything about my wife. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what I need her for. <laughs> well, just give me the money. Right. Give me the love. Give me the, the humor. The idea of her. The things about her I like. Her, I don't need her. The real issue is, does having a good job make you more of a man? No. It has nothing to do with being a man. So if a woman has a good job, is she more of a woman? She's empowered as a woman? This is neutral. This is neither male nor female. So how do we empower women? How do we empower men? To be women and to be men, not to get a job which has nothing to do with gender. So when you bring it back, what? How do you define a husband? What's the difference between being? What is the difference between a husband and a man, a wife and a woman? A husband and wife have the ability to remove all things, to get past all things. There is nothing about my wife; it's my wife. There is nothing about my husband; it's my husband. Like, for example, when your wife is out of town, you miss her. What do you miss about her? 
in theory because I'm don't a single man. Don't answer the question. Well, I'm not going to answer the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have no wife, but um, yes. You miss her. Her being. Her. her presence. Yes. So well, what do you miss about her the most? I miss her because she is not here. Mm-hmm. Problem is, the minute she walks in the door, I got something for her to do. Right. <laughs> it suddenly becomes about something. So our grandparents married each other. They wanted to have each other in their lives. There were many things about each other they didn't really enjoy. Why do you have to be like this? Why can't you be like that? Why can't... And they bickered. And you think they were unhappily married. No, they were happily married to each other, not to things about each other. We're trying to do the opposite. I want to like everything about you. I just don't need you. Just give me the goodies and keep your opinion to yourself. Hmm. So my first book, Doesn't Anyone Blush Blush Anymore? anymore. It's published by Harper. They get to pick the title because that's money. Sure. But they ask you to to submit possible titles, right? The one I wanted, which they rejected, the title I wanted was Shut Up, I Love You. (laughs) Because I think that is the key problem in most relationships. I love you. I love your looks. I love your intelligence. I love... But why do you have to have a personality? Just shut up and let me love you. All right. <laughs> Did you? And the result is mm-hmm. you feel alone because I'm not connected to you. Now imagine I don't need anything from you. Nothing. I don't need security. I don't need you to cook an egg for me. I don't need you to do laundry. I don't need anything from you. I just want you. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, you're not available. What am I missing? God needs us, well, but he's perfect. So needing us makes him imperfect? No. no. If he needed something from us, that would make him imperfect. But when he needs nothing just wants to have someone by his side with him. So if he doesn't have us, what is he missing? He's still whole and complete. Yep. This is the beauty of it. You're missing. That's what it means, I miss you. I'm perfect. I'm perfect. I'm complete. Yes. I am missing no pieces. But I miss you. That's God's vulnerability. When God says, for myself, I am not enough. That is divine. That's what makes God lovable. He's perfect. He's awesome. He's infinite. That doesn't excite me. Good for him. (laughs) But he's vulnerable, and I can make it right yeah. With me, he's okay. Without me, he's not. That's a beautiful concept. <laughs> In fact, In I, fact. Th- I think that's the essence of Judaism. Which is fantastic to hear. I think the shift between, well, at least growing up and from my understanding from previous generations, they live more in the realm of a fearful God and now the language is focused more on more of a loving God. 
but, but there's a trap there. God is love. All I want is God's love. Do I have to put up with all his other shtick? Was <laughs> uh, that relig- religion per se? Yeah. Just give me the love. Give me the love. That's it. All you really need is love. All we need is love. <laughs> right. Or I just want to get to heaven. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I grew up, I I think I grew up Chabad. So, I mean, I, I grew up Chabad. I don't think I did. I did. And that's a very, that's, we don't, I mean, I didn't grow up in that philosophy at all. Why? It's all about action. It's about here. It's about now. It's it's yeah. the alternative. It's which not about means, the schar. Which means it's about him, not about me. Yeah. But if I say, I want to get to heaven, what will it take? 613 mitzvahs? Come mm. on. Yeah, yeah, lighten yeah. up. I just want to get to heaven. Yeah. So it's like saying, I want to marry you for your money. Just give me the money. Don't complicate things. Yes. So yeah. when I say I want to get to heaven, it's like... Just give me to heaven. Let let me in. Just let me in. Why do I need to put up with you? That's that's Christianity. Just get me into heaven. Leave me alone. Mm. So the the intimacy, by definition, is a non-thing. If I can put all things aside, including these two very devastating, destructive things, love and sex. Get love and sex out of the way so that two people can become one. So typically, what would you suggest, you know, three questions someone should ask on the first date to their their partner? The first question is, you really want to be married? Because if not, I'm going home. Hmm. (laughs) First day. First day. Out of the gates, all right. Right. Not what impression do I make on you? Like, are we playing games over here? Are we here for the commitment? Yes. If you don't believe in marriage, what are we? then why are we talking? So don't tell me whether you like me, whether I look good, whether... You really want to be married? Like in four months? That's how long it takes to get a caterer. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be so, married in four months? Oh, no, no. Okay, then let's go home. Right. You're not serious. Hmm. That's that's definitely a way to the, separate the uh, the, the boy, the, yeah, the, the men from the boys. The boys, the boys, the boys, the boys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I tell women, pick a date. June. Make it very real. You're saying it's grounded in reality. June seventeenth. Yes. yes. Bar bar, no shoes allowed. We're making it happen. Yes. Got and it. And on the first date, you take out your calendar. And you say, I'm scheduled for June 17. Oh. And women say, ah, oh, they're going to run away. Okay, that's one benefit. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. So far, so good. You're, you know, seeping through the, the ones that want to stick around. Okay, so dating for three years okay. and then not getting married? Totally, that's another extreme, absolutely. That's crazy. Yeah, there has to be a happy medium. That's where dating has become an alternative lifestyle. Yeah. It's like a quasi-marriage. Uh-huh. You can get hurt, you can get angry, you can be jealous, you can cheat. You can, it's, a, it's amazing. Yeah, It's a little marriage you have going there, but you're not really married. Right. My question is, how much do you say for the shock factor and how much do you like truly stand behind? You know, because I... All the throughout the years, you've had you know quite a few stands on different topics that are controversial or, or tend to be controversial, and you take you, you know it's a headliner. You're it, you it's clickbait. 
I want to I want to hear more about this. How much is is it for the that effect, or do you truly follow through with what you what you what you're saying? It's not for the effect. It's for the MS. Sadly, your MS, Tars MS, your opinion, de- defining Judaism. Judaism. Uh, unfortunately, the truth is shocking. I don't know why. Why is it shocking? Why is the truth shocking? Because PC means don't be so honest. Mm-hmm. Fake news is better. Or I mean, or it comes down to an. So you're saying it's not your opinion; it's straight out Judaism belief, God, and this. I'm just saying the facts this is how it is. Yeah. An example: If you're going to get married, always use a shatran. I think it's a tragedy that the the matchmakers, the shatranim, introduce you and then step away. You know, exchange numbers, call each other, talk it up, see what happens. I'm not going to pay you for that. (laughs) That's not good. It's terrible. The hurt, the damage that that does. You go out with you know the first date yeah sure and eh, not really interested but he says so uh tomorrow you want to say no but you say uh, okay i mean it's always a pity second date come on there's always a second date you gotta it's that's nice it's, it's common decency common decency once you have a second date, <laughs> third date. Nah. <laughs> it is so awkward for many people to okay. say no. Yeah. How was your first date? Wow. Give me the picture. What were you wearing? <laughs> I have no idea. Come on, Hannah Jacket, white shirt. You wearing of course. a tie? Tie? Yeah. Open the door? For her? Yeah. <laughs> have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Did she pick you up? Yeah, I, th- I think we went to the airport. Observation, uh, whatever. It's, observation. it's a great line, actually. You know, like, uh, you know, what was it? Like, with the heart? Are we near an airport? Are we near an airport? Because my heart just flew away. Uh, I didn't use that line. No. <laughs> anyway. So, so how was the first date? It must have been pretty good because after the fifth, we were married. <laughs> wow. You married the first... Woman yeah. you dated, huge, and still going strong. It's lucky. It is lucky. Let's be honest. That's that's not yeah. common. Yeah, can't force it. Who put that together? The shotgun. Who's a shot? Who's a matchmaker? I don't remember. I never. I don't know. Really? Huh. Um. Yeah. What was about her that you just knew? Like, she's she's it. Her money. <laughs> <laughs> It's good. Yeah. Rabbis got jokes. <laughs> so without the shatran, good deflection. There's yeah. going to be there's going to be trouble. Right. You go out, let's say five, six, eight, ten times. Yeah. And then you decide you don't want to marry her. How do you uh, end it? So I can tell you horror stories. You can, you're not going to do it over the phone. Actually, I did after you ended months. it over the phone. Yeah, I was in. Yeah, just didn't. Yeah, mm. I did. It was sad. Very. It was. Yeah. I I I I, t- I cried. Mm. She was sad. 
It was sad. But you ended it. No, actually, oh, no. <laughs> she, yeah, it was like a, it was fizzling. It was, uh-huh. it, yeah, she ended it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is you got to get together because you got to tell, you know, you got to be a mensch. Mm. You got to tell her face to face. All right. Well, face-to-face. wish someone told me that back then. <laughs> you say face to face. I don't think this is working out. I'm, I'm really not interested. It's the way to do it. Yeah. But then she'll say, why? Got to be honest. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not comfortable. But you got you to gotta step up. Yeah. So I'm talking to these women. Uh-huh. The guy was honest. And they are so traumatized. Oh. I mean, okay, I mean, I guess you know specifics, but who, I mean, I don't know exactly what was said, but if it's... That's the role of the shatran. Mm. You can't ask the shatran why. Shatran says, he said he's not interested. Why? I don't know. Wouldn't it be better, though, in, in this realm of honesty, like you were mentioning before, like, wouldn't it be better for two human beings to be honest and say what it is that... No. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. Never. 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 It's, 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 it's cruel. Why that? It's cruel. You're uh- honest and you don't have secrets from your husband or wife. Not from a person you're not marrying. You're saying, I don't want to marry you, but I'll tell you the whole truth. No. Mm-hmm. No. So when you're dating, you're being completely selfish. You're supposed to be. The purpose of a date is to see if you like. You're not there to make a good impression. Yeah. Why would you want to make a good impression on a total stranger? So you overdo it. I mean, the whole way that it's approached is, you know, put on this, put on that, wear a little of this, try to be funny, try to be serious, try to be... Stop it. Just be yourself. Yes. Yeah, 100%. You're being selfish, and that's the purpose of the dating. Marriage means you're being selfless. Yeah. But we got it backwards. (laughs) People are more selfless in a date and more selfish in marriage. Mm-hmm. We got it confused. Got it. I mean, okay. To to pivot it to pivot now to a to another direction, um, but it's still in the realm of all these things. You have amazing opinions. You always stand by it. I think you're an outlier in that sense. But I feel like this this sort of starts back way back when when you were younger, in your maybe young twenties. I may have the timeline wrong, but you didn't grow up Chabad, right? You grew up Babav. I grew up Chabad. You grew up Chabad? Born and raised Chabad. Before that, I was not grown up. (laughs) Ah, Okay, interesting. Nice. I was born with no teeth. um, So, A, I'm curious to know what is it that attracted you to that, but also, did you have any pressure, any any pushback from friends, family, when you decided it was like a lifestyle? I mean, especially back then, I was thinking it's like sort of like, you know, religions like you're changing it you're converting to another yes. religion yeah that must have been very difficult well, i gotta tell you that in the 60s i went with the film truck to um washington square park or that area that was the hippie yeah area. sure that's where all the, yeah all the uh, demonstrations take place sure yeah totally. well any place else and you pull up with a film truck right people cross the street sure to avoid you 
Not by the hippies. They love it. Yeah, they swarmed. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, what's happening? Yeah. yeah. So we were putting on film with you know, one after the other. Ooh, was that Manas, was that your like hippie voice? I like it. You're too good at it. That actually. Yeah. Too good. That's, that's where I grew up. Uh-huh. Anyway, so the, it was a Sunday, so the television cameras were there because it was a you know, it was an attraction that neighborhood. So it was on the news that night. Filling truck, hippie, Washington Square Park, the whole vibe. Somebody told my grandfather. That's how that's how you came out to him that you came that you were Chabad. No, no, no. He knew, oh, but he knew. Out in the public, he was it. he was horrified. Wow, medehippus, medehippus. <laughs> it was shocking. Wow, it was like blasphemous. Putting on tefillin with the hippies? Mm, right. <laughs> it's sort of like it's unworthy or... Yeah. So that, that's that's basically what attracted me. Wow. That difference in mentality of uh, being so parochial, you know, closed off, protective. The world is bad. Stay away. So what, what if you're brought up in that mentality surrounded by people who believed in this, what, what was that feeling internally? What did you experience anything other than that? We lived in Crown Heights. <laughs> oh, okay. And there was something about that street, Eastern Parkway, with that house. Yeah, that one where, house. Where the activity was always upbeat. Mm. Middle of the night, every, people coming, going, singing, and everybody else in the religious community was pretty much waiting to die out. It was like a hospice. Uh-huh. You know, the old Yiddishkeit is gone. Right. Shed a tear and let it go because it's over. Right. And here it's like, what? There's fire. There's aliveness. We're taking over the world. Incredible. So when did and you, for a teenager, come on, that's oh, that's that's heaven. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you have a a, a certain rebellious streak? You're, you're the oldest in your family, as as the oldest. I know I'm the oldest. There's always that. You know, there's. I'm different from, let's say, my other my other siblings. Is that part of it as well? Was there a certain like level of like? Probably. I want to, you know, my parents say this. I want to do that. I yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. And I always prayed that my children should rebel in such a manner by becoming more, <laughs> by becoming more Hasidic than me. Sure, that's great. So was there was there a moment your your parents like sat you down and you had a talk and or you told them, hey, mommy, dad, I'm becoming Chabad. You know, like was there a moment where that you you got straight with them many mm-hmm. okay it was it was it was difficult for them it really was you ever came around to it yeah and then all my siblings so they were outnumbered <laughs> yeah. started a trend that's, wow that's amazing it i mean was amazing we are we are um we are filming this podcast today which is your chvat how apropos um Yitzvah, 70 years since the Rebbe the Babach Rebbe took leadership of the Chabad movement so let, let me share a personal oh you want to go wow I don't, yeah. let's ring the bells man it's because, getting personal yeah. that's, that's okay please because of what today is yes. Right? yes 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 growing up in Crown Heights sure but to me Mickey Mantle was the hero really? ever heard of Mickey Mantle sure he was a <laughs> hockey player right uh, before, baseball, baseball. before there was hockey in New York, <laughs> yes. Uh, he, yeah, he was he was the hero. He was, but I kept hearing about the Rebbe. Great man, holy 
wise. I went into seven. I, I was I was religious. I went into seven seventy for my roof. Tiny little minion. This is like in the fifties, mm. and I'm a little kid, small for my age, and I just you know make my way right up to where the Debra was sitting. And I'm staring like this is this is this is the Rebbe. this is. And the Rebbe gets up to do Shema Nasser, the Amida. And at one point, the Rebbe bowed. Something struck me. I was I was a Shemendrick little kid, you know, mm-hmm. with Mickey Mantle on my mind. <laughs> It struck me so real. The way the Rebbe bowed. Who is he humble to? Who is he bowing? Who humbles this man? And God became real to me. I mean real. And I thought, well, that's... That's what it ever does, right? Right. That's yeah. But then I looked around. Nobody else saw it. Later, when I started learning Hasidus, I realized the Rebbe can choose where he allows himself to be seen, seen, revealed. Right? And he saw this little kid. Doesn't know whether he's coming or going. And he said. What made you say think that no one else saw that or felt that? Because I never saw it again. From the Rebbe? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It was like a glimpse, like a cur- like a curtain opened a little bit. So, okay, see? Okay, bye. <laughs> ah. and, uh, and you can't really explain more than there's just a certain level of ju- just seeing that humbleness, seeing that there are a certain vulnerability from the Rebbe himself of just... Uh, and it was here's the beauty of it. There are a lot of religious people who do religious things, and you think, "Wow, that's religious." That was not the reaction. My reaction was not, "Wow, the Rebbe is so humble." <laughs> my, my reaction: Who is humbling him? Who is he bowing to? Mm-hmm. That godliness. If you notice the person, okay, you know, I'm sure everybody noticed the person. Look how the Rebbe Davins, isn't that beautiful the way, you know, so elegant and he doesn't shuckle, he doesn't jump up and down. Yeah, that that I always noticed. Yeah. But that one time, I noticed who he was bowing to. Have you ever experienced godliness without the middleman? You, you, the Rebbe sort of showed that to you, but have you ever experienced godliness in, in, in a direct form where, where it was just, wow, that's real? They all involved the Rebbe. It was Some Chastaira. Mm-hmm. I'm saying there's always that. There was always the Rebbe. Though. I'm saying you alone, room, field, mountaintop, just you, God. That ever take place? No. Yet you still believe in God from that moment? I don't believe in him. He's real. 
you don't believe in him, but he's real. What's the belief is doesn't 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 connect with it for your belief? I mean, I'm not, I mean, just to justify the, the, your belief. The word, yeah, the word belief is a little. Uh, how how would you say you it? believe in something you you can't explain, or you believe in something you can't know. This is knowable. Right. And no one can say otherwise. I mean, your, your relationship with God is very personal. So, I, I mean, if you know, you know. How would you explain it to someone who doesn't know? Get to know. But there's no don't, rabbit. Don't for substitute. Example. Right. There's no rabbit. For, if there's, the opportunity of experiencing that doesn't exist anymore. All right. Say for someone in the Orthodox or Chabad world or and anybody who's listening who may not even be Jewish, how does that how does one go about that process? You learn. God is knowable. Don't cop out with faith. Get to know him. Some, some scientists asked the Rebbe back in the 60s. Uh, there was talk in the, in the scientific circles about life on other planets. Mm-hmm. And they go check it out. Right? So uh, somebody said to the Rebbe, we don't, we don't believe in life on other planets, do we? There's a, a from scientist. Mm-hmm. Sure. He says, we don't believe in life on other planets. They ever said, belief? Go take a look. <laughs> you can't use belief as a cop-out. You know, like, I'm too lazy to go look, so I'll make up a belief. Don't use belief inappropriately. That God created the world is something you should know, not believe. So how does God still show up in your life? It's all about him. See, there's, there's another thing. The future of psychology, which is not doing so well, the future of psychology is you don't have deep, dark needs. You don't have repressed Im- impulses and desires that need to be acted on or, or spoken of. And you don't need anything. Because you're a creation. Only a creator needs something. I mean, we're all, we're all creators. In a sense, aren't we not? I mean, we all have... We're all, we're all creations of, of higher power of God. But at the same time, we have the power to create. In a sense. We're not creating. We're... Yeah, I mean, with, with, with the we're power... perpetuating. Invested within me, sure. Right. But there's, there's an element. You know, doubting oneself is doubting the creator. Well... We create children. Do parents need children or do children need parents? Both. Oh, I think the parents need the children more than the parents. I mean, I was... Say again? I was going to say, obviously the child, especially in the earliest years, needs someone to take care of them. But I think there's also a massive... The parent needs a child tremendously. Tremendously. It's their identity. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So does the child really have needs? Besides the basics, you know, of food or... Which the parents provide. Yeah. No. So what do you need? No. That's why if a child is not happy, something's wrong. What is your problem? Yeah. What's your problem? We are guests in God's world. Why do we have needs? In other words, isn't it the creator who has needs, not the created? Yes, but then though the cycle continues and the child grows, yeah, and through the human condition of of life, 
there was the cycle of whatever trauma and stuff that has taken place from parents passed on. And then the work takes place for the child to break that cycle. Perfectly said. Thank you. Life creates needs, not me. I don't need. <laughs> Listen, this is really, this is really Mashiach Dick, right? Yeah, we're getting there. I need a doctor. I need a doctor. Actually, like a hole in the head. Mm-hmm. I don't need a doctor. God created me in such a way that my health can either work or not work. And when it doesn't work, I have to go to a doctor. He invented that, not me. Yeah, sure. Even the need to eat. I need to eat. Actually, I need to stop eating. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't. So who did this to me? If If you say it correctly, I'll give an example. A kid goes out of town overseas to yeshiva. He arrives in the yeshiva, chesidusha yeshiva, yeah, sure. and he says to the mashpia, I have to call my mother. Where's the telephone? And the mashpia says, you have to? For your mother's sake, you have to call. Is it true that you have to? True. No, it's not true. No, I mean, true. In this, no, not true. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I don't need to call my mother. In fact, I think it's a little bit annoying. <laughs> but my mother needs me to call her. Why can't we talk straight? I need to eat. Mm-mm. Whoever designed me, whoever fashioned me with this handicap, thank you very much. Yes. He needs me to eat. I don't want to eat. And if I designed myself, I would never do that to me. So the change of way of being, if someone's growing up and, um, and has been brought up in a certain lifestyle or way of being, their needs and wants may not be their needs or wants or what they think their needs or wants are, but they have to do a certain amount of work to unscrew and figure out what their true needs are. But that takes work. That takes therapy. That takes psychology. I mean, Omar Shpia and whatnot Ah, to help some guidance. So the future of psychology is instead of telling you more needs you didn't know you had, (laughs) thank you very much, it will relieve you of needs. Not try to solve your needs. You don't need anything. Letting go, then more, less of taking on, and letting, and more letting go. Because you didn't ask to be born, you really don't need. This is a recent development. It was never true before. Everybody did what they had to do. That's how we got this far. That's how we built civilization. We, had, we didn't we, have time to f- think of anything else because you had to. Sure, right? Survival. So when somebody said you have to, you did. Particularly if it was the czar. Somebody was always dictating your needs. You need to do that. You must do this. Today, people are starting to say, I don't need to do anything. So, and don't threaten me. Because you're going to threaten me. I, I see it coming. <laughs> but if you don't do what you have to do, you're going to end up, don't threaten me because I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. But this guy who is suing his parents for giving birth to him, 
<laughs> didn't hear about it? No, I didn't hear about this. Guy wow. in India, 27 years old. He took him to court. Okay, wow. He wants them to pay all his bills for the rest of his life. Because without you, I want to be here. I want to have this responsibility and so on. You didn't ask me. Yeah. I never signed any contract. So you give birth to me and then tell me that I have to go to school? Mm-hmm. I don't have to go to school. Well, you won't get a job. I don't need a job. Right. Well, you won't be able to pay your bills. Hey, I'm not paying bills. It's like inviting me to a, <laughs> to an expensive restaurant That's and, what, and they're telling me to pay the bill. Yeah, well... Hmm. Well, what's what what okay? He, what are your thoughts on this? He's making a lot of sense. He's making a lot of sense. Yeah, because he wants his parents to pay all his bills for the rest of his life, and he's not even Jewish. <laughs> Jewish cup. <laughs> I mean, so yes, children, young children, are saying the same thing. You ask them to do something, and they say, "I didn't ask to be born." Where is this coming from? It's coming from the truth. You didn't ask to be born. Nobody asks to be born because nobody needs to be born. So how do you excite someone to be alive? Ah, if you're smart enough to figure out that you don't need this, then figure out who does. Does that lead to a question of, let's say, people who grew up in religion. Now let's say people grow up with religion. Why do I need religion? Why do I have to do the rituals? If they're... Not arguing with you, Rabbi. God exists, higher power. I believe in the universe. All good and fine. Why do X, Y, and Z to get down this road to connect? If I don't, I can do it my own way. Perfect example. The, the, the Frum grandparents says, you have to go to shul. You have to keep Shabbos. The kid says, you know, I thought about it and... Um, Not really. I don't have to. Yeah. Oh, you have to. No, I don't have to. Or the one is like, if I don't feel it now, keep on doing it, it'll come later. Fine. But still, I mean, I mean, the point doesn't... But I don't have to. Yeah, don't, yeah. I don't have to. So, oh, you're going to go to Gehenna? Okay. Stop with the threats. Yeah. You're not winning any points by threatening me. Because it only proves that you don't have an argument. Absolutely. <laughs> right. How would you? How do you answer the such? I mean, because it's it's definitely a conversation, right? This day and age, I know for myself. I mean, the way I practice Judaism is very different from how I was brought up, um, in my you know my own home. So, in that idea, is religion is a tie with God, with uh, or is it two separate things and just a way to connect to a higher power? Why do you want to connect to a higher power? Well, and, and who invited you? Yeah, right. Well, for going back to the idea of God. Who, who invited you? Right. And you're right. 100% in the sense. So let's go back. So a step before that, that's where the child says, I don't, you ask me, tell me to do something, follow a certain way, do a certain thing. I don't need, you, it's not my, not my choice to be here. You, it was all you. Yeah. Let me go about it. It's your religion. Leave me alone. Right. Right. Everybody's saying that. Right. And it's true. And that's why the parents are freaking out. Yeah. Because, Kid's right. Yeah. He doesn't have to. It's funny. If I may pause for a second, because when, when I came back from, I was, I was speaking to my mother before I got here, because I, as I should be, um, and after I came back from traveling, I traveled the world for a year and a half. I came back. You may remember this, but I, I came back and I was long hair, hippie clothing, and 
my this is not no, I'm, not, I'm not putting you in a corner. Don't worry about it. But my my mother's like they're freaking out because I was speaking about you know what is God? I was you know, I experienced the world and out of the con- confines and the bubble of which I grew up in. So I had a lot of different doubts and ideas. So this is you know someone suggested to speak to you. And I remember we sat down, and we spoke, and I remember your way of being wasn't a very, it wasn't attacking. It was very calm, cool, collected. And you were just, you were just like challenging me, my ideas and thoughts. Where it sort of comes, came back to this idea of like, you want to do this, then do it. You want to go, then go, experience it. Like, go down that road. Don't like you know, in a sense, keep. Maybe I translate it my own way, but you correct me if I'm wrong. But in a sense of like, if that's what you want to do, then go experience, see how that is, and see if it fulfills you in that manner. So, what is the correct answer? The correct answer is, no one ever said you need to do this. That's not Yiddishkeit. The Torah is, this is what God needs from you. You don't need anything. Because you didn't need to be born. So why were you born? Not from your need, from his need. So with chassidim, it's very easy to say, look, do you have to do what God says? No. He'll punish you. Stop, yeah. stop with the threats. You're right. Okay. But if you say, this is what God needs from you, now can you say no? If the Rebbe would call you and say, I need you to do this. Oh. Could, dangerous comparison there. But yeah. Could you say no? No, but then again, you'll find you'll find guys who don't believe in God who believe in the Rebbe. You know, like no, yeah, but the sure. Point, the point no. is, if you, if this is what God needs from you, can you say? Eh. So now all of a sudden, you have to do it. Yeah, but it goes. But you're saying that whoever said that you need to do something, so perhaps it's a flawed system of how things are being taught to, to, the, to the children, to the kids, to the way I was brought up in a sense yeah. that yeah. what you're told to do, how to do, the language of it. Yes. In fact, today, if you say you have to, the conversation's over. Yeah. Doesn't matter what it is. Not just religion, anything. You have to go to school. That's it, I'm not going. That language has got to stop. Because we've come to a very correct realization. I don't need any of this. So how would one, one right now in this day, in the reality of what it is, how does one approach someone who perhaps in a family member who is living their life, doing their own thing, how does one approach that, have a conversation? What would you say to parents who, you know, what do you are say frightened to a, and scared? What do you say to a guy in the street when you're on Miftsayim? Like to put on film? No. Okay, bye. <laughs> what do you say? Yeah. So you're saying don't fight it. What, what do you mean? Drag. I'm saying like, well, are you, are you saying this let it go? Fine, move on to no, the next no, guy. No, no, I'm move asking. It. What are you doing? Oh. You approach a guy yeah. and you say, yeah, okay. do you say, do you need filling? No. Nice. Okay, bye. <laughs> no, you, you just welcome him. You say hi. I mean, it's been a minute since I've been but What you're doing is, you're coming to a person and saying, have you got a minute to do something for God? And the guy says, oh, I don't need this. I know. Can you take a break for a minute and do something you don't need? That's a mitzvah. A mitzvah means something you don't need. Can you take a break from your own needs before you get totally depressed? <laughs> 
and do something for someone else? Step out, stepping out of yourself. That inspires people. I'm talking to a guy who said, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. And I, never, and I said, yeah, but you know, God created you. He needs you. Oh, he does? <laughs> Only one. All, right. All of a sudden, oh, oh, I'm interested. A minute ago, he didn't believe in God. God needs me? Tell me more. Because he was told all his life he needs God. I'm sure there's a few people who don't, who have quite harsh ideas. Actually, I was sitting by a, uh, a round table you're hosting in LA over Shabbos, and you brought up this concept of how God needs us. And a lot of people from different movements in Judaism were very upset about that, very bothered by that. The idea that God would need us, you know, mere mortals. Try to get around it. I saw you trying. <laughs> no, no. Get around the fact that God needs. He doesn't need. But he created the world. Yeah. Uh, for no reason. Sure. Because he needs nothing. Right. No, 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 no. Created for a reason. With a purpose. Yeah, but a purpose that he doesn't really need. Well, the concept Makes of, I think, desire of is very, very foreign to, the, to some people, that God has a desire. Well, Make sense of it without that. It doesn't work. Right. It doesn't work. No, no. He doesn't need anything. He just wants to do you a favor. So they need more chassidus in their life. That's about it. Even chassidus needs to be understood. It's true. I, that's, I agree with that. I've recently just delved back into some chassidus, uh, learning more chassidus, and it's learning it now in a more very real practical way, just because I, I'm engaged in life. Uh I just wish, and I, I, this is echoed by a lot of my friends. It, it just, I wonder if it's because it wasn't taught that way when I was in yeshiva like years ago, or it's, we just have, didn't have enough life to experience and to compare it to. But maybe it's maybe a little bit of both. I'm talking to an 11 year old kid, yeshiva yeah. boy. Yeah. And he says, I don't think God needs it, He just wants it. I said, God wants something He doesn't need. And the kid said, oh, that's it. Mm. He wants it. He doesn't need it. You know what that's called? What's Immature. That? <laughs> Even a human being shouldn't want what he doesn't need. <laughs> so mm. you can't get around it. I know there's a problem. I know. God is supposed to be perfect. He's not supposed to need anything. I know about that problem. But you can't get away from it. If he doesn't need, then it's all over. Because I certainly don't need this. <laughs> What's a, um, that's fantastic. What is, just to get a little um, personal. Um, first of all, what, what, what inspired you to get into this line of work? Like, is it, was there someone growing up, someone maybe other than the Rebbe, um, a mentor or something that you saw some sort of what, what what was that fire of that passion within you that you wanted to step into this leadership a and b do you enjoy it do you enjoy the spotlight do you enjoy you know being the performance of it all i i think it's obvious that i enjoy it <laughs> it's hard to hide but it was i think a two-step first of all i fell in love with Hasidus. 
Rebiel. Secondly, there were Pegishas. I remember back in the in the late fifties, early sixties, before my time, where college students would come to the, to Crown Heights, and the, the best speakers would speak to them about. And I heard Hasidus being spoken in English, mm. and and the students were so moved. I said, "I got to do this. I got to do this. Let me add a yeshiva. I got to do this." Yeah. So I got married early. I was the early, the youngest How in my you? group, twenty-one. Twenty-one, you got married. Wow. Yeah. Because wow. I, I can't wait. <laughs> I got to do this. So Hasidus in English that inspires people. Can't irresistible. Imagine irresistible wow and how, how old were you when you when you wrote and published uh why don't we blush anymore that was 1990 year i was born but uh before that 1970 i moved to minnesota yeah with my wife and baby and um we started base Chana, which was really funny because it was a joke we were sitting around there were three shulchan we're sitting around, we have this big house, just bought the big Chabad house, many bedrooms. And we're sitting around in the summer, everybody's out of town, schools are closed, university is closed. And what are we gonna do with this big building? Hmm. So somebody said, you know, there is a yeshiva, Balchuva yeshiva for men, there's nothing for women. Who are they gonna marry? <laughs> it was a joke. Right. We said, you know, so, so let's do something for women. We did. And since then, over 30,000 women have come through Beis Khan. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. What an incredible accomplishment. Did they all marry off uh, Balshivas or Gesh? Do you know the... No. A good percentage became... Wonderful. ...observant. But here was the challenge. You sit down with these women. Like the first year, all the women that came had been the radicals of the 60s. Mm. burning down universities. I mean, these were tough oh, ladies. Yeah, oh yeah, totally. Feminists. And they Strong wanted answers feminine. or they were going to burn down the Chabad house. Oh. <laughs> and where do you start? Where do you start? They didn't, they didn't even have nostalgia to work with, you know? Remember your grandmother used to bake challah? Not my grandmother. <laughs> what are you talking about? There was nothing... Hold on to to start foundation. So, so their question, spoken or unspoken, was, "What do I need this for? Convince me." So why were they coming in the first place? We we sent out a little flyer that said, "Come study the purpose of life." They walked in and said, "You know the purpose of life." I dare you tell me. <laughs> that was actually one of the first, instead of opening with with the sex. I was I was either it might, let's start with something light. What is the purpose of life? That's my first question. But yeah, sex seemed a bit more like you save the light stuff for later. Exactly, exactly. Anyway, so there was no. It became so clear. They don't need it. Whoever said we need it? So way back then, I realized we're not talking about our needs. Otherwise, we're finished. Mm. So it became. We're here to serve him. If he needs nothing, we can't serve him. If we can't serve him, what are we doing? Getting yourself to heaven? I'm not interested. 
so moving moving forward, what what are two things that perhaps a person can do to find find answers or 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 find for himself or herself the a connection to a higher power or the or the purpose for their life? The first thing is you have freedom of choice. And the choice you need to make is a very simple one. You can be needy or you can be needed. That's it. That's what it boils down to. You can focus on your needs, try to satisfy your needs, pursue your needs, do it your way, whatever that means, Mm. and you're going to get depressed. Or... You can focus on who needs you. We exist because we are needed. That's who we are. We are necessary. Not always lovable. (laughs) God doesn't say, I always love you. But he does say, I always need you. Even when I hate you. (laughs) So that's the choice in life. And it's a, new, it's a new insight. We've never understood or appreciated this. You don't have to be needy. But you are needed. So when your needs fail, give it up. Do something for someone else. Find out who needs you and you have a life. If you're just thinking about what you need, you just have survival. It's depressing. Powerful concept right there. And to end it off on something light, two words for you. Bob Dylan. I was told that there's a story there. He's a singer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You knew that. That that, that I'm familiar with. You know Benny's really good joke? My my son? Wow. Nachas, that's it. He gets up on stage and he says, hey, I'm not the only famous Jewish singer from Minnesota. There's also Bob Dylan. And between the two of us, we have sold millions of albums. (laughs) (laughs) That's very funny. I think a lot of people don't know about Benny that he's a very funny and witty guy. He's very, he's sharp. I wonder where he gets that from. Yeah, I wonder. (laughs) Rabbi Manus Freeman. Dylan? Yeah, tell me. Yes, yes, yes. Fell in love with the Rebbe. Fell in love with the Rebbe. How, through, how? You made that connection? No, I think it started before... But to him, the Rebbe was the ultimate nonconformist. And he loved it. He loved it. There was one time he heard that the Rebbe wasn't feeling well. I don't know how. Somebody said something. The Rebbe was suffering from sciatica. Sciatica? You know, his leg. Yeah. So somebody said, no, the Rebbe's not feeling well. He hopped on a plane, came to 770. Really? stood by the door when the Rebbe came out from Mincha, saw the Rebbe walk briskly to his, and, oh, he's okay, he'll fall back. That's a true story. True story. Wow, look at that. Amazing. If you, if you go to the oil late at night, <laughs> you might meet him. All right, you heard it here, guys. Hey, Manus Freeman, thank you very much. Anything, how could people find you, find your work? Find me. <laughs> no, every word, yes. It's, it's not like I'm no. hiding. Yeah, all right, You're, it's true, it's um, true. Your website? Yeah. 
So you can go to this thing called YouTube. YouTube. You've heard of it. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty True. popular. It's yeah, got a couple of videos up can, there. Or you can go to itsgoodtoknow.org. Mm-hmm. An interesting, interesting uh, name for a website. It's it's the whole program is called It's Good to Know. Great. Because program. what's your program? Because it's it's good to know. It's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to know, so, go to It's Good to Know. Yeah. Or if you want a really internal view, go to one one two one three. Dot org. Interesting. Cool. The zip code of Crown Heights. That's right. And that's all of my classes and conversations with local people, yeshiva girls, yeshiva boys, the inside conversations that people love much more than the canned speeches, you know. Yeah, totally, totally. Okie dokie. All right, Manas Freeman, thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. Thank you for all your wisdom and sharing and wishing you a great day. Thank you. And... We gotta, you gotta appreciate that what we, what you're doing is not mere entertainment. It can be life changing and life saving. No exaggeration. You give people something to live for, you've saved their life. Not to get morbid. Yeah. Right? On that note, yes, absolutely. Achaim. Wow. What do you think, huh? I want to hear all about it in the comments. Reach out to me on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube as well. Uh, Mayor at, at Mayor K, M-E-I-R-K-A-Y. Thank you, Rabbi Manas Freeman, for coming out and sharing with me your ideas and your thoughts. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast. What do you do? It's free. Why not? Why not? And tell a friend. Spread the love. Do it, do it, do it. It goes a long way. And if you have already, thank you so much for your support means so much to me and helps me keep on doing what I'm doing. Uh, so, hey, you know what it is. Next week, another podcast, Monday. No better way to kick off the week with a great day podcast with Mayor K. I may be biased, but hey, you never know what you may learn from these podcasts, these conversations. So, until then, I want to say uh, stay positive and be happy. I'm Mayor K, and you know how it goes. Have a great day. Have a great day.